the Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. So do you feel it? You all got a heart beating inside your chest. That means if you can feel the music, you can feel the rhythm. What a difference a day made. 24 little hours Under the sunshine and the flowers Well, there used to be rain My yesterday was blue, dear Now I'm a part of you, dear, 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 dear. All my lonely lives are through, dear Since you said you were mine Oh, my, what a difference a day made I see a rainbow That moment of bliss Oh, that thrilling, thrilling kiss When it's heaven when you Find romance on your menu Talking about a difference Today I made What will the difference in you? Hey! 
Welcome back, everybody. My guest this hour is the author of uh, a new book called Barnstorming Ohio to Understand America. He's an award-winning author and essayist who has been dubbed the Bard of Akron by the New York Times. His name is David Giffels, and he joins me now by phone. David, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Tom. David, uh, apparently this book is uh, the culmination of of you spending about a year on the road throughout Ohio. What would prompt prompt somebody to spend a year on the road in Ohio if they weren't running for something? Um, well, <laughs> well, first of all, that's that's something somebody from Michigan might ask. But uh, well, but no, let's let, let's college. not go there, David. I have many friends in Michigan. So, um, you know, I, Ohio ha- has a unique um, record of accurately choosing the president um, going back a century. It's um, in, in 29 of the last 31 elections, Ohio has selected the winner in every presidential race, which is more than any other state. And I, as a lifelong resident of Ohio, I've long known that and long understood that there is there's a quantifiable reason for that. Ohio is distinctly um, divided into five regions, which each represents uniquely a different set of um, demographics uh, that, that represent the larger national picture. So it's it's uniquely diverse. Well, and, and that I diversity, also, what what does that look like? The the five pieces, and I, I don't mean to cut you off, David, sure. and. and you know, feel free to finish what you were saying, but but I, I really want to um, unpack that uh, five regions a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And, and this is often, you know, political scientists and journalists often rely on this model. So there's Northeast Ohio, where I live, um, which is much more like Flint. It's uh, industrial, post-industrial, feels more Eastern um, than Midwestern in many ways. Um, uh urban and more culturally diverse as well there's there's northwest ohio and um, and, and is, in northeast ohio um name a couple of cities so we get some sense of sure sure cleveland is is sort of the the capital of northeast ohio gotcha um akron and youngstown um you know traditional blue collar industrial cities um, and then we move into northwest Ohio, which is more rural, more dominated by farmland, um, n- no big cities, um, n- none of the major cities are there. And it feels much more like the, the true American Midwest. It's, it's even flatter and, and greener and, you know, a, a different terrain even. Uh, then there's southwest Ohio, which is dominated by Cincinnati and feels much more like the beginning of the South and uh, tends to be more conservative, um, a lot of uh, wealthy suburbs. So a lot of people um, think Cincinnati's in Kentucky, David. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In fact, I jokingly refer in the book to, to I always think of Cincinnati as the capital of Kentucky. And, <laughs> and a Cincinnatian wrote me a note saying, um, I enjoyed your book except for... 
<laughs> because we're, you know, it's, it's, it's a truth throughout this book. We're very self-conscious in this part of the country because we don't often get paid attention to. And so when we do, you know, when somebody from outside relies on a stereotype or an old punchline, we, we react to it because we're, and I'm sure it's true in Flint and the cities of Michigan as it, as it is in Ohio. So I understood his response and it, it, it put me on my guard. But yeah, so yeah, Cincinnati is um, kind of distant also from the other big cities in Ohio. Um, so then there's the southeastern region, which is uh, the Appalachian region, uh, poorer, less populated, um, again, a different terrain, more um, hilly, uh, more like West Virginia. Um, and then finally, there's the center of Ohio, dominated by Columbus, which... Uh, is a very different city from the other big cities in Ohio. It doesn't have an industrial past. It is dominated by Ohio State um, and government, and those are and so its personality is very different. Um, it has a lot of wealthy suburbs in a ring around it. It's the only growing city in Ohio. It's kind of the so quintessential. It it's kind of the quintessential college town, isn't it? It's the quintessential college town on steroids. It's the third largest campus in the country. But yeah, I mean, you go to, yes, you go to Columbus and you just, you know, if you don't feel a, a, a sudden urge to shout out OH and expect everybody on the street to respond IO, um, then you, you don't know where you are. So, and yeah, and, and they won't, yes, they, they won't use the letter M. Um, in, in Michigan and for, during certain times of the year. But, you know, that's, it, you know, but again, those, you know, one reason I think those, those college rivalries in the Midwest are so powerful goes back to that sense of, um, there's, a, there's a sense of pride that's not simple. It's, it's pride in places that other people don't recognize or don't appreciate. And so we're protective of our hometowns in different ways, like I, I don't think like New Yorkers or San Franciscans are defensive about their hometowns. They love them, but they I don't think they feel defensive because they don't have to, because they have a prevailing personality that that people can understand. We don't have a sort of glamour, um, you know, that projects. We have to tell our own story, and that was really the spirit behind that this whole journey. More with essayist and author David Giffels. Straight ahead. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, 
Call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Lions. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Hello. Speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed. It's a robocall. Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. From the Tom Sumner Show. Oh, yeah. More with essayist and author David Giffels straight ahead. How does that play out in, in presidential politics, David? Um, how does Ohio speak as a single voice, if they even do? Yeah, first of all, yeah, it's, it's a tricky line, because Ohio is valuable during a presidential election season because of the number of electoral votes we have. And so we're very aware here that three years out of every four, we're flyover country. We're basically ignored or misunderstood. And then that fourth year, you know, 
as I read in the book, we're poked and prodded like we're at the, a, a cow at the state fair. Like everybody wants to understand us, take our measure, see what our value is. You know, a month ago, people didn't really care very much about Ohio because it looked like Trump had the state wrapped up. We're suddenly in play. It's it's a dead heat today. <clears throat> and suddenly everybody wants to kind of decode us, unlock us. And so there's there's a kind of a frustration because they want a simple answer. And and Ohio doesn't offer a simple answer. It offers a really interesting, complex answer, partly because of those five regions. You can't just say the voters in Ohio will go this way. Those five regions vote in very different patterns and and long-trending patterns, but none of them, they don't all match up. But the other thing I wanted to do, my strongest intent was, as I traveled, was to let people speak for themselves, to make sure they understood in advance that I'm not talking to you because you represent a type, because you're you're some sort of like a stereotypical version of this part of Ohio or this part of the electorate. I wanted people to recognize that we need to have voices as individuals and yet still try to, you know, over the course of 300 pages, represent um, a full picture of what, not just Ohio, but I think really any of the overlooked places that do have value, um, what they represent, the story that they can tell. And and you were talking about, of course, uh, for all the rivalry between Michigan and Ohio, there are a lot of things that we have in common. And one of them um, is the idea that you talk about in the book with dead shopping malls. And, yes. and even to the point where <clears throat> Amazon is buying up blighted properties to turn them into fulfillment centers. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, explain and, that a, a, a little bit, because we're we're not seeing that in Michigan. Is it because Ohio is more centrally located in this this region? Yeah, I would look at it a, <clears throat> a little bit more broadly across the Great Lakes region, because there is a larger concentration of that phenomenon here um, in this region um, than in other places. But what's been happening is. Uh, the phenomenon of the dead shopping mall, first of all, has all, has fascinated me for a generation. I mean, we, as somebody who grew up in the 70s and experienced the sort of that wave of suburban shopping malls as part of my, you know, sort of social life and, and you know, just the landscape, uh, to see the slow grind downward of a big institution like that um, has, you know, just been fascinating also, like, curious like how does this happen and why don't they just close it and they seem like these dinosaurs that are just like sort of like grinding toward their halt uh and so the one in my hometown in akron ohio rolling acres mall has had been in decline since the 1990s but just kept hanging on and the anchor stores would just you know the middle would implode but the anchor stores were still there until finally it was just this huge empty symbol of failure and so many of us were you know it's not just an economic question it's really a question of um of civics of of who we are uh what has happened to a place that represented our economic um power and represented a a, a central gathering place and all of these things and amazon 
which some people might see as part of the death of the, the shopping mall um, as a new kind of retail force, has discovered that, you know, these places are located near large urban centers. They are usually located along major transportation routes. Um, they're big, available land spaces or sometimes facilities already built. And they are perfect for Amazon's model of having all of these distribution centers where they can, you place an order and then they can have a big warehouse somewhere near you that they can get your product to you very quickly. So across the mid, across the country, they've been buying up these spaces and converting them into these warehouses. But because the Rust Belt and the Great Lakes region have also a lot of urban centers that have lost some of their economic power, they tend to have more of these dead malls. So these fulfillment centers have been popping up around Ohio and along the Great Lakes, Wisconsin, and so forth um, in the past few years. So I kind of track Rolling Acres, my mall, as a, a sort of model of how this has has been going on. You know, and I think there are some in Michigan. I looked at a map um, as I was doing my research of where these were going in, and I believe there were one or two in Michigan as well. Yeah, there's, um, y you know, I go back just maybe a few years before you, and I sort of um, saw the decline of, of shopping malls very differently because I remember when downtowns were still the main retail center and they started moving it it started moving out to malls closer to the suburbs and as as people moved out away from the inner city um these these malls took over so i had seen a big shift in retail before it happened yeah. again to malls so when malls started drying up i was it, it was almost like well, there's an, that's how long that idea lasted. Yeah. You know, what's interesting to me, too, is is when the suburban malls began, this huge nostalgia for the downtown shopping mall or downtown shopping department store that, you know, kind of took hold as kind of a generational nostalgia. So, like, when, you know, when Ralphie in A Christmas Story is looking through the window at his Red Rider BB gun, that, like, hits right to the heart of a Midwestern ideal and then Amazon comes in and these malls that were seen as destroying the downtown centers, you know, suddenly they have their own nostalgia and people are resenting Amazon for destroying the, the suburban shopping mall that, you know, has its own version of nostalgia. And so I just wonder, you know, the next generation, whatever it becomes, is going to say, oh, remember the days when we could shop online at Amazon and, you know, the little blue truck would show up. The drone would land in the American. driveway. Yeah. yeah, those were the days. <laughs> that's <laughs> funny. That's funny. Well, that's that's when we all have uh, when we get to the point where we all have three um, D printers in our den, right? And and we just yeah. we just order the plans online <laughs> and, yeah. and develop the product I, I at our house. I think there's no element of, of of cultural acceleration that's off the books right now just because of the way we've lived, you know, since for the last 15 or 20 years. Well, and, and, and let's talk about how we've lived the last nine months. Um, did you finish the book before the pandemic happened? 
You know, I had an end date. There was there was an event that I wanted to write about. There's a this small town in Ohio called Hinkley, and every year on March 15th, according to legend, the buzzards who have, that have migrated south return to Hinkley, and there's this sort of festival that takes place and. You know, the, I wanted to come and see the vultures come to roost. And, the, and that isn't, and that isn't every four years, David. <laughs> no, it, it, believe me, it was a heavy-handed attempt at symbolism. But uh, yeah, and and Ohio's primary was taking place two days later. Well, you know, I had made that plan months in advance with no idea that March fifteenth was going to be pretty much the day that that the flip the switch got flipped on the pandemic. And so Buzzard Day got canceled. I still went to, to into the parks and watched for a buzzard. But, um, yeah, so the book ends essentially at the very beginning of the pandemic. And, what's, and so it is in the book, and Ohio's response to it is, is kind of represented in the book. Um, what's been interesting to me is that the nine months, the tumultuous nine months that have followed with the pandemic and and with racial uprising and you know and it's just so many elements of american life upended and amplified it kind of has it has reinforced a lot of the themes in the book um in ways that kind of makes me think that um the truths about ohio that i believed are true uh one just one example of that is Ohio, you know, making the case that Ohio is a bellwether in ways that go far beyond politics, that it's it's never the leader um, that everyone looks to. But Ohio tends to um, sort of infuse whatever is happening in America in a way that we can look to Ohio and see a lesson there. And so, for instance, and I think I, I'm using Ohio, but Flint will totally relate to this. When when there was massive job loss at, as the pandemic began, I'm th- I'm thinking, well, why don't you look to Ohio? Why don't you look to Youngstown, which I write about extensively, the closing of the Lordstown GM plant in Youngstown. Yeah. You want to know how to deal with massive job loss? Look at Flint. Look at Youngstown. Look at Akron, places that have been dealing with massive job loss for two generations. Um, you know, we have something to teach. And what we have something to teach from is our hard times. What do we do in our personal lives when we're hurting? We turn to somebody who's experienced that same loss, and we look to them for guidance. Um, the pandemic happens, and in, in early weeks and even months of the pandemic, Ohio was being looked at as a leader in decision-making and relying on science and the kinds of things where other places were foundering. And the governor here, Mike DeWine, was was working in closely in tandem with his public health director, Amy Acton, and they were just moving really well through this really, like, unknown territory. Well, it wasn't unknown territory here because Ohio had been already dealing for several years with a public health crisis, the opioid epidemic. Yeah. And so we had this model of how to listen to science, how to work across social service agencies without borders between them, how to, how to adapt to a public health crisis in a way that other people could look, you know, now we've got a, the biggest public health crisis in a century, you know, 
look to the place that's already suffering one and see how they're, you know, extrapolating that model. And it goes on and on, you know, in ways that, you know, we don't think of our hard times as being a benefit, but they, they can be. They can, cer- they can certainly be um, pivotal moments in people's lives and, and what you do with it, as so many people have learned at, you know, GM plants in Lordstown and Detroit, Flint. And, um, you know, you, you mentioned the Rust Belt, and, and it flashed through my, my mind for a minute trying to figure out which state can, can take the... Uh, mantle of being the um, belt buckle on on the rust belt is it ohio or pennsylvania <laughs> yeah i know like like who thought that like detroit and cleveland and pittsburgh would be battling for like to be the paris of hard times right yeah right. Like, yeah. You know, yeah exactly really, i mean really one of the things i wrote another book called the hard way on purpose and the subtitle is essays and dispatches from the rust belt and it's it's a book of essays about sort of coming of age as the first generation to be like to only have known the the hard times, the decline, and not have grown up during the industrial heyday. And one of the things that I have wrote about there, but I've continued to think about and to enjoy talking about, is that for a long time the term Rust Belt was just a mantle of shame. It was something that we were embarrassed about. It was something that that it was just just a tragedy, and rightly so. Um, and but now we we many of us wear it as kind of a mantle of pride. It's like we you know like I, I think legitimately like if you put if you put Cleveland and Pittsburgh and Detroit together and said you know who wants to be the buckle of the Rust Belt, who wants to be known as that, I think each of them would kind of want to lay claim to it. You know because. I go back to what I said before. There's something about living through hard times that it becomes a kind of pride that is deeper and more organic and, and more earned than a kind of pride that, like, Phoenix has. And then nothing against Phoenix, but Phoenix's pride is based on its warm temperatures and its leisurely activities and, you know, you know, Phoenix's sports team is named the Suns, and Cleveland's sports team is named the Browns. You know, there's like <laughs> you know, a very different kind of pride, but we're very, you know, we're proud of our Cleveland Browns because they've been terrible for so long. Like, you learn how to adapt to your darkness, you know, and in some ways, you know, the, uh, we wear our scars, you know, better than we wear our medals. Yeah, I know. Michiganders uh, certainly uh, can appreciate this, and and I'm sure Ohioans can as well, Um, that that what they've been through economically over the last generation um, is really akin to that old adage, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And, exactly, and and there's there's a sense, you know, in this in this region of, um, oh yeah, I rem- remember the 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 Ford Tough slogan and ads and stuff. Exactly, it it, yeah. it, it kind of speaks to that same thing, you know. We're down, but we're still here, 
and um, yeah, it's 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 an interesting thing to talk about. But here's something interesting. Um, you know, you you talk about Ohio as uh, being as having a near perfect record for choosing the presidential victor and uh, a perfect record since 1964. Um, right. What is, um, it's, it's kind of interesting because you talked to people from all over the state and you were talking about, you know, Trump wasn't a lock. And for most of us that are watching the news in recent days and weeks, it seems like Trump's popularity is slipping because of the pandemic, but yet your interviews were ahead of that. Right. What were you hearing from Ohioans? Were they, you know, basically still echoing 2016 or had a shift already occurred? Yeah, there were a couple of specific shifts that I, that I picked up on. And again, I, I, I'm always careful not to take one individual and try to turn them into like a poll number because I want those people's stories to stand on their own. But I spent so much time in Lordstown, and Lordstown is the quintessential um, model of that uh, blue-collar union Democrat who voted twice for Obama and then voted for Trump. And it happened across that region. And um, Lordstown was very much at the forefront of President Trump's promises to bring jobs back. Exactly. I mean, by name, by by name, not just by expectation, but he actually went there and said, you know, this is all going to be great again. Yeah. He, He said a quote that people know verbatim in that region. He said... Don't, you know, the jobs are coming back. Don't sell your houses. That was his quote. People, because you know this again, as yeah. Anders in Ohio, when somebody makes a promise like that in a place that's been burned for two generations, those words stick in your ear. They stay there because that's a promise that we need. And so when he said that, and then the Lordstown plant closed, and he was perceived as not doing what he promised to do to help, um, that's a kind of burned that does not go away easily. And so to a one, the people I talked to in the Mahoning Valley, the region around Youngstown, um, who said they had voted for Trump in 2016, said they would not vote for him again in 2020. Um, So that's one example of a trend that I perceived um, that, that seems to be part of what's happening right now as this race has tightened. Another part of the story that I told was the the plight of the American farmer in 2019, which was battling weather, battling nature, as is always the struggle for the farmer. It was a historic rainy year in 2018 and 2019, so they were really struggling through difficult um, conditions in in their farmlands. But also the uh, trade war with China was going on, Trump's personal trade war with China, which was really killing, especially soybean farmers. And, you know, farmers, although they trend uh, conservative and they 
tend to vote Republican, they're very independent. They're very um, independent in every aspect of their lifestyle. And so the farmers I talked to didn't want to say that they would support Trump again. They said he's going to have to prove it. And so, you know, I don't know. I, I haven't followed the poll numbers for for that demographic in you know in this year, but um, but I know from the people I talked to that they were not, you know, their vote would not be simple. And so I think some of those factors are playing. But I think really more broadly, once again, like Ohio is such a reliable measure of of where an election is headed that I wasn't surprised when the race drew close here as it was trending close nationally because we always kind of trend along that line. So a lot of people wrote Ohio off in August as as Trump's numbers rose here. Um, and now, I, you know, suddenly Biden is spending a whole lot of money on advertising in Ohio just, you know, just in the past week. And... I'm noticing, you know, just on the street level that the signs, you know, the yard signs look different than they did in 2016. In in my part of Ohio, I'm seeing fewer Trump and more Biden signs, whereas in 2016, I observed fewer Clinton signs um, at this you know, point in the season. That's my this unscientific poll. More with essayist and author David Giffels. Fashion Radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program.com. The Tom Sumner Program.com. The Tom Sumner Program.com. And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now. And now, too. And even now. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 15th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community Schools. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Sloan Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan. Quick Technology. My Community College. It's Pure Michigan. 
Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to tom at tomsumnerprogram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon, they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work, and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital. Go to a local symphony concert, Visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom It's Dana. Dana? Something must be wrong. She never calls. Dana? What's wrong? Take this down. She's stranded on the side of the road. I'm not. She needs us to send her an Amazon gift card. I don't. And she'll use it to pay the tow truck driver. I won't. Mom, Dad, that's not me. It's a scam. Scam artists will call, text, or email people trying to get them to buy a gift card from Amazon or some other company. And then ask for the gift card number over the phone. Remember, gift cards are for gifting, not for paying people. If someone asks for payment using a gift card from Amazon, Target, or some other store, it's a scam. Hang up or delete the message. These scammers are awful. Wish they'd pretend to be her brother sometimes. Be nice to hear from him. For more tips on avoiding scams, visit michigan.gov ag for your connection to consumer protection. I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. All the Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with essayist and author David Giffels 
straight ahead. Something I want to ask you very quickly about 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, John Kasich, I, I was surprised that he didn't do a little better, even in spite of the uh, the Trump phenomenon in 2016. But how was he able to hold on so long? Um, he's he, uh, he's a moderate and moderate for for the reasons I've been talking about because Ohio sort of covers a wide spectrum of types of people and of types of of cultures. Um, I think a moderate is a great fit for the state. And Ohio tends to lean a little bit more conservative and a little bit more Republican in in general in aggregate. And so a Republican moderate is is a good fit. Um, You know, Mike DeWine is a Republican moderate. And, um, And they both I think Kasich, especially like early, maybe not so much, but as he evolved as a governor, um, became very collaborative and very bipartisan in his collaboration. So Kasich was the leader in fighting the opioid crisis and really did a great job of bringing together um, factions of government and um, cities in in ways that they they. They put it was like all hands on deck against the opioid crisis, and Dewine. Um, there was a mass shooting in Dayton in August of 2019, and Mike Dewine, in the aftermath, put together a plan to to a multi pronged plan to try to address it um, in a very again like bipartisan, reaching across the board kind of way. So both of them, I think, have thrived here because of their relative nonpartisanship. David, um, we're going to run out of time here in a couple of minutes, and there's there's two things I, I really want to make sure that we cover. One is the book is uh, Brainstorming, Barnstorming Ohio <laughs> to Understand America. And the question is, well, and then I want to make sure that we give listeners a chance to find out where they can find out more about you, not only this book, but um, your your earlier writings and, and really get to know you past, present, and future. Um, so if you have a website, please share it. But the question is, who benefits from this book, or, or who, who? what do you think people will get out of it other than uh, presidential campaigns and Ohioans? Sure. Um what I hope and what I think people will get out of it is that this book is about Ohio, but it is about Ohio as an example of any place that feels overlooked or misunderstood. It's about anybody who wonders, you know, sort of who will listen to me, which really is most of the country. Um, and, And so while this book like uses Ohio as a model of this is what it feels like to live in a place that doesn't get to tell its own story well. Um, I think if you're in Flint or if you're in Des Moines or if you're in Milwaukee or in many of the places in the middle of the country, it represents that feeling and that spirit of let us tell our own story. This is who we truly are. And this is really what it feels like to be an American. 
David, we've got to end it here, but I want to make sure. Do you have a website? Sure. It's davidgiffels.com, G-I-F-F-E-L-S. Um, and there's lots about the book and lots about my other books uh, and uh, links to order. The book is available wherever wherever fine books are sold, Tom. <laughs> it's available at any, any online or, or brick-and-mortar bookseller. You took the words online. right out of my mouth, David. Um, David, thanks so much for spending this time with me, and uh, best of luck with the book and all of your fine writing. Well, thanks. I really enjoyed this conversation. All right. Take care. You too. That was uh, David Griff, uh, Giffels. Um, he is the author of six books of nonfiction, and um, he uh, is a former columnist for the Akron Beacon Journal. His writing has appeared in the New York Times Magazine, the Atlantic Parade, the Iowa Review, Esquire, and many other publications. He is a professor of English at the University of Akron, where he teaches in the Northeast Ohio Master of Fine Arts Creative Writing Program. The book is called Barnstorming Ohio to Understand America. And we're going to take a short break. We'll be back with more of the Tom Sumner Program straight ahead. I remember the night Mom was pounding on her drums. She called me to her side. She said, son, you're growing up. Pretty soon you're going to drive. And Daddy heard the commotion and came, came in tap dancing, playing his sixth string. And they both looked at me and they said, son, before you get behind the wheel of a car, you listen to me. If you're texting while you steer, don't drive. If you've been drinking beer, don't drive. If you're talking on the phone, don't drive. Your tires are bald and it's starting to snow, don't drive. If your foot can't reach the pedal, don't drive. If you're wearing no apparel, don't drive. If you took an illegal prescription, don't drive. And no one understands your diction, don't drive. Don't speed, don't don't shave, don't rave, don't wave, don't eat And don't put no makeup on or shave You know you're not supposed to do that uh. If you gotta do something you're not supposed to do You can go ahead and step on my blue suede shoes uh, Go ahead and scuff them up If you're driving with your knees Don't drive If while you roll you eat if you don't know how to drive Don't drive If you've been psychedelicized Don't drive If you're kissing on your boo Don't drive If the boo's kissing on you Don't drive If you've been drinking at a bar Don't drive If there's guns in the car Don't drive Don't groom, don't shave, don't tweeze, don't nurse Don't voice these things in your ears Or rummage through your purse Something you're not supposed to do You can go ahead and talk on my Fu Manchu Go ahead, I don't care Watch me tear If you feel like a nap Don't drive If there's a pooch on your lap Oh, it's dangerous and creepy If you're feeling really wired If your license is expired Don't you drive around the town
something you're not supposed to do You can go ahead and step on my bluesway shoes Scuff them up Then go ahead and pull on my Fu Manchu Yeah If you want to do something You want to do something that's good If you're feeling like any of that stuff Don't drive Make sure you got a clear head Ow Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com From the Tom Sumner Show Well, hey, that wraps it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. I hope you enjoyed. Uh, we had a couple of encores. We had uh, um, one of our guests that was scheduled uh, to be on the show, the uh, author of Corrections in Ink, Carrie Blakinger, was uh, uh, MIA today. So instead, I hope you enjoyed that encore presentation of a conversation with David Giffels about his book, Brainstorming. Ohio. Before that, we talked with the author of a brand new book called The Apocalypse Apocalypse Game. That's about the fifth time I've stumbled over that word today. Um, it is the first of what promises to be a, a very in-depth series that looks at uh, super. It's a supernatural techno thriller as well as being a spiritual speculative fiction. Um, Again, it's uh, D.C. Smith and the Apocalypse Game. We started out this morning uh, talking about media with uh, Bacha Unger Sargon from uh, Newsweek and her book, Bad News. Anyway, that's Smoking George Winters Tickling the Ivories. I'll be back tomorrow. Tomorrow's Wednesday, so tune in for Armchair Politics. In the meantime, good night, everybody. Sumner program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.